1: To another edition of Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation. I am Ron Kolok, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable—the mystical, the magical, the macabre. New England's own Van Helsink. with me, the blonde bombshell herself, and Carrigan.
2: Well, good evening. How are you doing? Sucky. <laughs> I thought so. That's why you're so cranky.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Jeez, I got myself
1: bad cold, so.
2: Oh, poor baby! I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, no, I, uh,
1: yeah, I know it. turned green for St. Patrick's Day, so there
2: you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's uh everybody's got it. Unfortunately, it's this crazy New England weather, and what are you gonna do?
1: Yeah, anyway, so we have a kind of a neat show today because we have somebody on who's. I've always been interested in, in what he does, which is a storyteller, because mm-hmm. you know my voice really sucks and uh, yeah. and I have that ADHD or whatever it is and <laughs> <the> and <Anheuser> a <laughs> disease and uh, and I never keep a thought straight in my head. But here's a guy who can do all that, so uh, I'm uh, kind of impressed with it. Anyway, so without further ado, let me introduce to you. Uh, to he's an author, he's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. He is Mr. Thomas Freese.
3: Hey, guys. Happy to be on the show.
2: Hi, Thomas. How are you?
3: (laughs) I'm doing great, and I might be maybe um, four days past the stage that Ron is currently in, so I I can sure relate.
2: Oh, Oh. no. (laughs) See? Everybody's at it. So there. there (laughs) So
1: you are a storyteller, which is interesting, right?
3: Yeah, I love telling stories and collecting stories, and I have two dozen storytelling programs. So even though I have nine books of ghost stories, I actually tell other storytelling you know, programs besides mm-hmm. ghost stories, uh, folk tales, fairy tales. I have stories from the desert southwest. I used to live in New Mexico. I have just a whole plethora of stories. So um, ghost stories is my favorite one to tell, but it's not the only program that I do.
1: Oh, um, awesome. How did you, I mean, how did you get into, like, storytelling? Because what you do is you actually go around and you you tell stories as well, right? You give... uh, Right.
3: Uh, I go to schools and libraries, um, events, and, um, you know, preschool, assisted living. Uh, We have a cool program here in Louisville called Arts and Healing, where we go around to clinical facilities, to hospitals. Um, So it could be just about any setting. They're hiring storytellers for... um, you know parties or for weddings uh church I've been in churches storytelling, so uh just about anywhere that folks might want to hear a good story they'll uh look up online or or check their contacts and see if they can find someone that that you know has that experience and, and does the storytelling, but not every storyteller is an author, and not every author is a storyteller, so so I do both. Mm.
2: That's true. <laughs> and
1: so before we yeah, would, would you give out your website so that if people were interested in, uh, you know, hearing more about your, your different uh, talks and so forth and books, uh, they could go? Sure, Ron, I'll
3: be happy to do that. And just with a quick mention that it's woefully out of date, so if anyone can email me through the website, and um, I can, you know, send them a list, an uh, updated list of of my books. I, that's one of the projects for this year that I need to update the website. And there's actually no click and purchase on my website. So, but anyway, uh, it is www.thomaslfreeze.com.
1: Okay. And you spell freeze with an S, not a Z, right?
3: That's right, yeah, although I tell you, you know, growing up in the 1960s when Batman was on every day on TV, my fellow grade school kids would say, you know, hey, we you saw your dad, Mr. Freeze, on Batman today.
2: <laughs> 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 nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking, I was actually looking at your website <laughs> and um, just looking at all the different books that you have. And um, the one that caught my eye immediately was the... Um, the Two Tales of the Civil War Ghosts?
3: Right. I was, I just had a couple books out, and maybe it was my second book. I was at the Kentucky Book Fair in Frankfort, Kentucky, and this guy didn't know, walked up, and he said, We need to write a book together. And I said, Well, who are you, and what book do you want to write? And he said, Well, I'm a Civil War historian and reenactor. And let me tell you, we're having all kinds of experiences out there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, while we're camping out and doing the reenacting. And it turned out, yeah, yeah, this guy's an amazing Civil War historian. He's actually here in Louisville. His name is Brian Bush. So we (laughs) collaborated. He had the history, and I had the mystery, and I did (laughs) interviews uh, of reenactors. And I was just so amazed in just this little subcategory of ghost stories uh, is a Civil War ghost. And we had so many. I I couldn't even put them all in the book because the publisher just wanted – uh, Civil War ghost stories from the South. So I couldn't include um, Gettysburg. I couldn't include I had Civil War ghost stories from New Mexico, okay. uh, from Ohio. None of those were in the Southern Theater, so I couldn't uh-huh. even include those. There's just tons and tons of Civil War ghost stories out there, and in, in Kentucky alone, um, with Perryville and other notable battlefields, it, it, there are just so many. Just as you can imagine, so many ghost stories are like the tip of the iceberg. Just a, mm-hmm. just a very minor fraction is what, what actually makes it, you know, into, into publication.
1: Uh, and that's wow. so interesting because my, my friend, um, yeah, there you go, I can't even think his name. That's how much of a friend he is, huh? <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark Nesbitt, is, Nesbitt. Is, 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 whatever, has written uh, about a dozen books just on Gettysburg alone. So, I mean, uh, what is it about the Civil War that has created so many ghost stories? Well, people speculate
3: on that and uh, might have a few different theories. I think um, it was such a terrible, terrible war right here in our own land and involved so many people and such trauma. So that's kind of one theory is that, you know, that that replication of the trauma is embedded into, you know, might say the time and space, the matrix that we have going on here. But um, also I think, and this is interesting, um, one gentleman said that he was walking on a Civil War battlefield down south eh, on a hill and embankment where, you know, historically the charge had come up that way and hit had cannon emplacements. And, and he just felt these invisible hands grab his shoulder and torque him to look down, uh, you know, at, at the hill down below. And he heard a voice say, This is what we saw that day. And it added, Never let it happen again. So, wow. you know, uh, to be honest, I, I think these spirits are. Waiting around to remind us that we still have incredible um, chance—you know, not not a good good thing—but uh, you know, the, there's still a possibility of deep division of our society. And I think they're waiting around to remind us of the terrible cost if we really do, you know, go at it again with each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. It's it's yeah. I mean, it was a, a huge rendering of our country, you know, and it's it's. I mean, I know. Um, a good friend of mine is a Civil War reenactor, and um, I mean he goes to Gettysburg all the time. I mean, and the stories that everybody tells are just crazy.
3: Well, I think what the Civil War ghost stories illustrate, as well as other categories of ghost stories, is that um, there's a really personal connection between, you know, you might say your thought and the manifestation of a voice or a figure. Or an incident where you might see or hear or touch something. In other words, um, it's not, some people think that uh, all ghosts or majority of ghosts are just like this video playing in the ethers. And there's no Mm -hmm. soul left in that image. Whereas what I've found through the about 500 ghost stories that I've collected is that this is a real feedback loop. In other words, you know we feel something and then we tune into it and that spirit reaches out and says yeah hey i'm here let me um you know kick over this rock or let me um just show my face and um so i think these are real spirits in real time and also another thing i've found with Savor ghost is that you have a different experience depending on where you're standing so if you're standing in the southern encampment and you you know come from uh, let's say upstate you know, Vermont or New York or something, then um those Confederate ghosts <laughs> they can know, they can sense that, hey, you know, we've got a Yankee right here. <laughs> and seriously, you might have a different experience. And there's a lady right. who had a family reunion in Tennessee down at Stones River and they walked around and she had family from Chicago and family from Tennessee. And believe it or not, they had felt a resistance when they walked through like you might say the opposite um, side's encampment. So when the ones from, you know, northern Illinois from Chicago walked through what had been the southern soldiers' encampments, they mm-hmm. reported feeling like walking through cobwebs. You know, there was this resistance. And ah. on the other hand, when, when the um, <clears throat> family members from Tennessee walked through what had been, you know, the Union uh, soldiers' mm-hmm. encampment, they felt the same thing. So uh, this is, this is real time. This is real people. And they can, the spirits can sense you know, who we are, where we come from, what our soul is like, what's our history, and what's our attitude for them. So it's not like this blind, oh, I accidentally touched the button on the video plane and, oh, there, there's the ghost that, you know, is going to run and jump off the bridge and commit suicide. What I've found with Civil Ghosts and the other ones is this is they, they're really in there. They're real spirits and they interact with us in real time.
2: Mm. Wow. I think that's so, a really interesting theory.
3: Well, just, it's just a pattern I've seen again and again. Um, that same lady, who had the family from both sides, she was walking Stones River with her son. It was this time of year, which you know you might say uh, is kind of raw still, you know, um, and the temperature's cold. And um, but anyway, they were walking in Stones River, and her son was 19. He had heard her mom's. His mom's stories, you know, all 19 years. He thought it was a bunch of bunk, you know. She was a psychic mm-hmm. attractor. And so she had tons of stories. And uh, they're walking the battlefield. He starts waving and waving his arms by his face. And uh, she goes, What's the matter with you? What are you, what are you <laughs> doing? He says, Well, I, 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 you know, there's flies. And she looked around. And she goes, this is, this is November. There's no flies here. He said, Well, <laughs> I can hear them buzzing. And he, he, she uh. said, well, That's not flies buzzing past your head. Those are bullets.
1: Ah! Oh. Oh, my God. Oh, no
3: way. You know, no way, Mom. That's, you know, I don't, you know, come on now. Don't start that stuff again. She said, no, Mm -hmm. this is what happens when you walk a battlefield. So they walk along further, and and they hear this volley of shots go off, and they can feel the vibration of cavalry, you know, on the earth. And uh, they can, you know, hear the sound of men in the march, and shouts go out from, you know, the officers. Um, I think it was all going on, and he tries to look over the hill and go, Mom, where are the reenactors today? And she Turned around and said to him, "Don't you get it? This is what happens when you walk a battlefield." Then they both looked up and, excuse me, from um, two opposite woods, you know, and there they were in the open green space. um, uh, An older Union soldier came out, pointed his rifle across the open space. At from the other um, part of the woods came a younger Confederate soldier, pointed his gun, and the older Union soldier said, "Son, put down your rifle." And the younger one said, Dad, you put down yours.
2: Ah!
3: And this went wow. back and forth a few times. And then finally, the, the Union shoulder soldier shot his own son who fell dead. They watched as the Union soldier ran over to attend his son. He was shot and fell right next to him. Then the vision faded away. And the lady turned to her son and said, well, you know, we're going to have to report this. We're going to go to the ranger station right now. And she said to her son, I can tell you right now, they're going to, just going to laugh at us. So... She marched her son over. They went to the ranger, who was a lady. They they told him their story. Her son totally saw, you know, the scene, and she laughed. But it wasn't because she didn't believe it. She said to them, "You wouldn't believe how many people have reported seeing that same scene."
2: Oh, oh my god! Wow! Oh, we get that all the time. <laughs> Holy <Yeah>. crap! <laughs>
3: Yeah, I can imagine the Rangers at um, Gettysburg. and But you know what the thing is about Civil War ghost stories? It's not all in, um, you know, we think, and this is what we tend to do with ghost stories. We think it's that famous house over there. That's the one that gets all the ghosts. And it's that <laughs> battlefield over there. And then we walk 30 feet away or we get in our car and go, okay, we're finished. No more ghosts. But guess what? Ghosts can appear anytime, anywhere to anyone. So I have stories of ghosts in cars, ghosts in bars, ghosts in your own backyard, um, wow. Civil War ghost. Yeah, there's a guy down in Marietta, Georgia. He just lives in a regular subdivision, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and here's a Union cavalry officer in his bedroom, and by the way, he was mounted. Uh, <laughs> so we found out The horse, the- too? <laughs> What's that? The horse, too? Was that- he was mounted yeah, on horse- a horse? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole other subcategory of animal ghost stories. Oh, uh, Wow.
2: Yeah, that's the real. Yeah, I
3: mean that. I would tell animal ghost stories um, to um, some middle school kids here in Kentucky, and the seventh grade girl came up. She goes, "Well, Mr. Freeze, uh, you know those are amazing animal ghost stories." And I was telling about people's, um, you know, cats and dogs and beloved animals, companion pets and everything. And there's tons of stories of animal ghost stories here in Kentucky. You can imagine with all the horse farms, we've got plenty of, um, you know, horse, uh, you know, spirit stories. But anyway. She goes, I raise horses, and um, one of them died. And she said, you may not believe this, but my mom will vouch for me, and I still see um, my horse. And she said, not oh. only that, I still have to give it feed and water. And she said, I can watch the feed and water go down.
1: Uh,
2: what? Wow. That's- so, yeah, so- wait, 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 wait,
1: The invisible horse eats food?
2: Crazy. She said her mom
3: could hear the horse and would watch the feed and water go down. Her mom wouldn't see the horse, but the girl would still see the horse. Wow! No, that's
2: mm-hmm. bizarre. That's bizarre.
1: Well, uh, we gotta yeah. call Mala up for that one. Yeah, I think so. Mala, Mala,
2: Mala, not Mala. Sorry.
1: You know, yeah, the, the animal thing. thing is yeah, way back. Yeah, the uh. I, I remember we had someone on the show that that lived in Baltimore, and uh, they uh, lived in one of those old brownstones or whatever they are, the brick ones, and uh, I think it was like 4th of July or something, they decided to put a flag outside their uh, uh, house, and when they put a flag up, and then all of a sudden, night after night, they were inundated by these Civil War soldiers coming into the room. And they actually brought a, a a medium in, and the medium said, well, you know, these are Confederate civil wars, and the flag you have out there is a uh, union. That's why you're getting this. And they took the flag down, and sure enough, they all disappeared after that. They never visited them again, as long as uh-huh. the flag was not a flying.
3: Wow. Yeah, and
1: I think it's so true
3: that there's that intimate connection between us and the spirits, and we... We really would like to think, and it's a form of denial, that it all happens outside our brain. But the very thoughts that we have can attract the spirits. And I think that's why a whole group of people deny ghost stories is because deep down they know, if I really think about this stuff, you know, Uncle Fred's going to show up or my, you know, my deceased mom is going to stop Mm -hmm. by. and, And, you know, they can't handle that so it, it just becomes this blanket denial, like, you know, none of this is real. But um, the many stories I have, people think about something, and then lo and behold, you know, the next thing they know, the spirit. You, mean, you think about your Uncle Fred, and then his picture falls
1: off the shelf, and I'm sure it's a coincidence.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. I, I kind
1: of have to ask, I mean, you've been, you've written several books and and, and heard so many stories. What one what, what really made you shake your head after you heard it, like, wow.
3: Well, I think the stories that have power affect me the most and they're the stories that I want to tell to grown ups and children. And one of them is a story from a fellow Kentuckian. She's also an artist and a literary artist. And she had an experience in her car, you know, while she was driving along. And um I can kinda of give the you know, the brief version of this but it just shows that um many times these are people that we know that just so happens they died but they're you know, the relationship doesn't die just because your mom or dad dies, you still you know, you still have that relationship. And um she lost uh, someone that she knew growing up and um he um he gave her this box of stuff all about um Egypt and hieroglyphs and everything, and then he went off to serve in Vietnam, and she went to college, and she ended up studying this hieroglyph. She really liked this stuff, and he had a feeling, of course, that she would like it. He was clearing out his room. He didn't want his, in the case he didn't want to, you know, make it back, he didn't want his parents to have to deal with his possessions, so mm-hmm. he had a, a box of all this, you know, he had studied with the Rosicrucians and Egyptians and ancient mysteries, and, you know, he was right. His mom and dad didn't want that box, so he gave it to Normandy. And Normandy was intrigued, and she ended up studying hieroglyphic uh, in college, and so she started writing a book um, mm. about, you know, the Egyptian Book of the Dead and, and really got into it. And then fast forward, she graduated from college, she got married, she had a couple kids, and later got divorced, hooked up with her boyfriend, she was living with her boyfriend, she was trying to write this book, raise her kids, and she just was having so much you know, of a time crunch that one day her boyfriend just said to her, look, you know, this book is driving you crazy. You've got to get rid of it. He just gave her this ultimatum. He says, look, it's either me or the book. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of women that are younger, you know, they'll give up their dream to please their partner. So she had this box you know with all the material she got from her childhood friend and and all the research she had done and it was in a closet she she took it out she got in her car she started driving and looking for a dumpster to throw it away hmm. and then as she was driving she heard a voice from the back seat <laughs> uh-oh and it was you know the young man that she had known and uh, he actually had made it back from Vietnam he was a writer too he had been writing a book about the Ku Klux Klan and one day they found his car parked at a quarry, one of those ones that fills up full, full of water afterwards. And, um, oh. you know, yeah, they looked in the, in the car and, you know, I mean, his, his, his uh, wallet was still in there with cash. So it wasn't robbery. And then about three weeks later, his body floated up from the quarry water. Oh, God. Wow. Here he was in the back seat. He was in the back seat. And he said to her two simple words, which is the title of the story. He said, turn around. Ha. <laughs> Wow. And she I ignored him and
2: kept driving and
3: then he repeated ah. Same two words. He said, Turn around. She said she kept on driving driving, tried to ignore him. And then she said he didn't say anything, but he reached forward from the back seat and he ah. touched her on the shoulder. She said it felt like a jolt of electricity went through her body. She didn't crash, but she went screeching off the road, bumped up against the tree and spun around and told him, Don't you ever do that again?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my God
3: at which point wow. he, he simply disappeared. Now, she said that he appeared, you know, she recognized his face, but he appeared as an Egyptian priest. His head was shaved and really? he was wearing a white. Yeah, because spirits can appear however they want. You know, if your grandfather dies pretty bad way and he's, you know, like 89, you know, he's going to appear when he's like 25 and buff. You know, he can do that. Right, of course.
2: <laughs> That's how I'm coming yeah. back, man. Woo! Yeah,
3: yeah. And, um... <laughs> People have died in horrible car accidents, and, you know, I know uh, one appeared here to a family here in town, and, um, she, you know, she appeared as a little girl. She just didn't want to freak out the family. But but anyway, Normandy was so rattled by this encounter with the car, she didn't throw away the, the box of the book manuscript. She just drove home, put it back in the closet, and a couple yeah. months later, she got a call from a publisher, and he said, hey, I read that article about what you're working on. Uh, he said, do you have a publisher? And she said, no. He said, I'll publish it.
2: Oh, my oh well. God. Wow. And, that's awesome.
3: You know, these are, these are friends or family, and they're trying to keep us from, you know, doing something stupid or, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing something that's really going to adversely affect our lives. They're literally saving us. And that's why I'll put any story in the book, ghost spirit, angel, UFO, alien, um, uh, nature spirit, Sasquatch. It's, you know, really doesn't matter <laughs> to me because, you know, it all points to the fact that we are we live in a multidimensional, you know, universe.
2: Mm -hmm. Mhm. Mhm. Wow. So I think that's often that you look at all of it. You know, all of it. Like that. You don't just look at ghosts. You don't just. You know, you have a wide vision.
3: Yeah, you feel you feel that invisible hand on your shoulder and you have to ask yourself, is it a ghost? Is it a spirit? Is it an angel? You know, what is it? And I think the person who experiences that would best know because what were you just thinking of? Well, you know, going through a hard time and I was thinking of my mom and she used to touch me on the shoulder just that way. Well, there you got it and you figured it out. But sometimes we don't see what it is and it's an angel. There's a lady who got off work here late downtown Louisville back when 4th Street was kind of a rough place in the 60s after the heyday when they had all the nice old theaters in the 1930s and 40s and that got run down and before they fixed it up how it is now and she was walking to her car all alone and these, Shelby's like three guys dressed dress kind of roughly and
0: mm-hmm. they were obviously
3: headed to intercept her going to her car and she walked faster and they walked faster and then it was obvious she wasn't going to make it but she felt she just sent someone come up behind her and she watched as the three guys she saw their eyes get really really big and she said <laughs> they just they couldn't run away fast enough they just <laughs> ran away as fast as they could and um she spun around and she didn't see anyone so was it a ghost was it a spirit was it an angel mm-hmm. she believes that it was an angel but i think the person that experiences or takes that photograph or you know has that synchronicity happen you know in a way that you know maybe like connects with that that language of the loved one that you used to have, say your loved one that passed away, you know, liked, uh, roses or liked chocolate or liked uh, crime mysteries, you know, and then like that thing kind of suddenly appears in your life in a bizarre, you know, unexpected way. And you were just uh-huh. thinking of them. So once again, you know, I've used the word synchronicity, but, um, but I do have stories of spirits and I don't consider spirits the same things as ghosts.
1: Okay. What's, how do you distinguish the the two? well i mean it's just a functional
3: definition i know they're used interchangeably but I, I, there were some categories there were some stories that i collected that it just wasn't like your uncle fred or your aunt mary it just it just it wasn't someone that lived a mortal life and i believe that a ghost represents someone that lived a mortal life like like we're living, and then died, and then for whatever reason is stay behind or visiting. But a spirit was never human, and that goes for the good spirits as well as the um, less pleasant ones.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, okay.
1: So anyways, uh, we actually had a a question from Ghost Girl, and she asked, uh, do you believe they're earthbound uh, ghosts? I'm sorry, I I didn't catch that? Uh, Well, we're just about to... uh sort of thing but uh, think about it uh, when we come back from the break um, Ghost Girl asked do you believe that the spirits are earthbound and you can hold on to that thought because we have to take a break you are listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ian Kerrigan and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanette Peric's Ghost Channel and beyond or perhaps the podcast or the app for your tune in app or whatever But we'll be right back after the following messages with uh, Thomas Freese.
4: Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the meeting of the Ghost Box.
0: an oasis in this hectic world.
2: And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our special guest, Thomas Freese. Hey, guys. Hi. We're back.
1: So so just before the break, uh, we had a question from Ghost Girl who asked if you believe that spirits are earthbound or ghosts are earthbound.
3: Well, I think it's um, a good question. Um, You know, like I said, I think there's a variety of um, what we're experiencing out there and I'd I'd be reluctant, you know, to put um, all ghosts and spirits in one category and, you know, say that all spirits are earthbound. Um, It just seems that um, there's another dimension that we might call the afterlife or even heaven and I think some ghosts or spirits... Um, you know, like loved ones may come from there and, and not really be earthbound. On the other hand, I think that um, a lot of people that pass away can have a certain period of time where they may be allowed to kind of hang around. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't call them earthbound and, and sad and stuck, but maybe they're just going to kind of um, say their goodbyes in a way and finish business, and then they'll go on. But there are, I think, spirits that, that are earthbound, and then there's also also spirits that are connected to the Earth, meaning that they're nature spirits, so they're not sad and earthbound uh, human mortals, but their realm is entirely in the Earth. and so you know you think about the fairy folk and other uh, you know creatures that are tied to the earth, and we can call them nature spirits, but really they're just you know creatures, and, and to us, their reality seems to be like spirit because of the way they operate seems more like a ghost of a spirit. You know, if you can if you can walk through a wall and appear and disappear, you know, then, oh, yeah, that's a spirit. But, you know, that may just be, you know, the nature of how they move through their dimensional reality. So um, it's a good question. I think there are earthbound spirits. Um, I think there's spirits that are connected to the earth permanently and some, you might say, situationally or temporarily. So that's kind of, you know, the, the short answer to that, that I'd give. It's <laughs> no, a good one.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good one. We have another question uh, from Stephen Scott, and he says, uh, in all of your research, Thomas, and the stories you've heard, how much do you feel that the emotional connection between the viewer and what they see sparks or fuels the experience?
3: Well, exactly, and that's what I was talking about earlier, and I mentioned a couple times. I think it's so true. Mm -hmm. And um, we sometimes deny the power that we have that um, we are constructed, you know, the way our being is, as human beings, as spiritual beings, uh, we have the software and the hardware to interact with spirit reality at any and every moment of our lives for a whole, you know, duration of our life. And uh, people think, oh, that's an odd thing that happened, oh, once, you know, 30 years ago, I... I had a telepathic thought, you know, and someone called, or, oh, yeah, 10 years ago I saw a spirit, and, yeah, that'll never happen again. But um, I think we don't realize how, in a way, easy it is to connect with the spirit world. And we know this from people that dedicate their lives to being psychic channels, or Mm -hmm. that are so intuitive and sensitive that they can't even walk out the door and they can connect with, you know, a spirit. There's people I call psychic attractors, no matter where they go they're going to connect with the spirit. So they don't need to go on the haunted tour. They can just go take a walk through the neighborhood and they will point. They'll go, yeah, they'll point at that house and that house and that house. And they go, that one's haunted, that one's haunted. And you look at them like with incredulous, you know, kind of, you know, scooby-doo face and go, oh, how do you know that? It's like, duh, you know, I can feel it. I can feel it in my <laughs> phones. I, you know, they're talking to me. I, can, I, I see it out of the corner of my eye. But I think we all have that ability. So um, the, that gentleman was at Stephen Scott. Uh, I think that um, it's a very good point. Many, many, many stories I have, you can see a real-time interaction. There's one story that didn't make it into a book, but it's a genuine, true story from Kentucky. And basically someone in the family, uh, through domestic abuse, killed another family member. And I guess she went flying down the stairs huh? This is like 100 years ago. And um, like a lot of times with domestic abuse 100 years ago, you just covered it up. You didn't want other, the community to know about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, But someone spoke up when this perpetrator was walking by in the street and the ladies were sitting on the porch and you know, wanted to say, you know, you're the one that killed and so-and-so. And then they just watched as that girl that started saying that, her head was just slapped, this invisible slap, just oh. knocked her face. And they could still see. They could see the individual red marks from each finger, and it was the dead woman. They believe, um, actually, the woman who was murdered was like, you you shall not talk about this. Oh. Didn't talk about those things back then. Um, but that was as real and as immediate as you can get. And there's many, many stories where um, someone thinks about the spirit, and then the spirit responds. Like, uh, you, you have a haunted house. And, uh, you know, you say, stop messing around with the lights, and the lights come back on. Okay, well, thank you. But, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in a lot of uh, cohabitation where uh, some of the people living in the house are mortal and have a body and some are, you know, in that other dimension called ghosts, um, the relationship is very negotiable, where you can just say, you know, hey, um, cut out the racket or stop <laughs> the knocks in the wall or whatever, and they'll knock it off for a while. Excuse the pun. They'll stop it. Um <laughs> But it's it's a negotiable relationship because I've learned to live with each other. So very, very much true, I think, that there's a connection between what we think and feel and say out loud and what happens, you know, with the spirits around us.
2: Mm. Wow. It it sounds to me like, I mean, I I know that you've written about this for a long time, but it, it sounds to me like maybe you have, you know, you have a little gift there. Have you... You know, had your own experiences?
3: Yeah, I have had some experiences, and um, I would call myself a sensitive. And mm-hmm. you know, I can I can do that work. You know, I can I can sit down and get things for people. I can do readings, um, and I've done that for years, which has put me in touch with that whole cohort of people, that kind of select group that just have the very very best stories, if <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. You know, if you go to Psychic Fair and you get a half a dozen psychics, um, you know, sitting around <laughs> with golden coffee mugs, you know, you're going to get, you know, more than just the sports news. You're going to get some amazing <laughs> stories. And some of these people work, you know, forensic, you know, psychic work. And I listened oh. to one group in Lexington, and this one lady who is really amazing, her, like, stage name or whatever is Anita. and mm-hmm. uh, But she looks like your regular grandma, and she was called on a murder investigation and went over to Eastern Kentucky to Red River Gorge and her and another psychic and they walked the land trying to see what they could get and they really didn't pick up anything. When they got back to their car, there were muddy, bloody fingerprints on the car. Oh. Well, this is pretty weird, but um, so they drove back to Indiana and uh, she said that these fingerprints went through three thunderstorms, three rainstorms, and they were still there. So she called up a guy she knew who worked for the Indiana um, State Police, and he came and he actually lifted the prints. Mm. And um, she said that the results were that um, one set of prints was the murder victim, one set of prints ended up being someone who could be helpful with information, and the third was unidentified. Wow. that's. Crazy. But I know as a writer of fiction that you literally cannot make this stuff up you can just go out there and talk to these folks, you know, genuine psychic readers and sensitive people, psychic attractors, or just your own friends and neighbors, and just ask them that question, you know, have you seen or heard anything you can't explain? And, you know, the hands will go up. So, you know, when I tell these stories in a storytelling performance, people come up afterwards, and they're so relieved to have someone that, (laughs) you know, knows these stories, honors these stories in others, and will listen to what they have. And then they say, well, Mr. Freeze... You know our granddaughter has an invisible friend or um well we've got a civil war ghost you know that lives you know in, in our in our property or um you know we see orbs floating around the cemetery or you know just mm-hmm. any one of those million one things that uh, people experience
1: mm-hmm. you know i I have to ask you, you you write fiction too so how many how many of your fiction stories do you draw upon your your real life stories and and do you do it subconsciously even
3: so, I'm sorry, the question was how many fiction stories come from real
1: life? And yours. I mean, you're a fiction writer as well. So, when when you write these, how many how many do you draw on your, in your real life as well? Do you find yourself drawing on it without even knowing at times on, on all these uh, ghost stories and everything that you... you uh,
3: right. Um, okay. I Yes. I think what happens is it's almost kind of like a subconscious accident so, you know, uh, Jules Verne wrote about what we would describe as a submarine before they were invented. And he wrote about, you know, a rocket that would take us to the moon before we had rockets. So, um, you, you know, might say that information is kind of maybe in the collective unconscious. and And, you know, as writers, we just tap into, you know, stuff that's just out there. So I think maybe that's kind of what's happening. Is it from my real experience, literally? No, but... It's out there, I think, available, you might say, in the Akashic Records or the ethers or the collective unconscious or subconscious. So I think, you know, like any artist, whether it's a literary artist or visual artist or performing artist, we, we, just, we just tap into that stream and, and we pick things up. So I think in that sense, um, it, you know, that's part of
1: what happens. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you a story, and this is for my co-host, Ann, because Ann is a huge taphophile You have a real good graveyard story you can tell us. Okay, well, the first ghost story I ever
3: heard came from my mom. And it took place, yeah, the Old Smith Pioneer Cemetery. When I was a kid, I grew up in suburban St. Louis in South County, and we would pile in the station wagon in the 1960s and go out to my great aunt's farm, which was 200 acres of history and mystery. And my great (laughs) aunts, I remember them as five sisters that, you know, grew old and never married, and um, it was just an amazing place to go explore, and I'd, you know, grab one of their old farm jackets and a handful of sugar cookies and just head out the door and be gone for five hours, and um, (laughs) yeah, just these great places to explore, and one of it, you know, I'd go with my siblings. I was number five out of six kids. I grew up in a small Catholic family of eight, and um, (laughs) it was just... (laughs) <laughs> we just go, you know, oh, that all the weird, you know, all the weird places, the places you're not supposed to go, you know, like the river where people drown, and um, the old cemetery, and you know, this cemetery was so classic, it had, you know, the wrought iron fence, it had thorny locust trees growing up around it, people, had, someone had been digging, because of course, it's always the other family that has died with gold, so you can go over there and dig in their, you know, family plot, but, um...
2: Oh my God!
3: Yeah, <laughs> but, but, um, I When I was about 12, I was woken up in the middle of the night by this incredibly loud – someone like took a fist and slammed it on the wall of my bedroom, and which is common with the hallway, and I woke up like, holy cow, and I didn't hear my dad fussing in their footsteps, so I thought, well, you know, what's that, because, you know – you know, it's not made by a person. And because uh, I, I, I was younger, I got the bottom bunk. My brother, Mike, he's a year older, he got the top bunk. And I couldn't see him, but I would talk to him. And I said, "You know, Mike, did you hear that? And he said, yeah. So the next day I went to my mom and I said, look, have you ever seen or heard anything you can't explain? And my mom is very logical. She, her maiden name is Dettenwanger. And she raised us six kids, oh. very, you know, self-disciplined and um, very organized. She's a Virgo um, she was a chemistry major in the 1940s, very logical, like Spock. Wow. So I expected her to say no, which she said no, but then I counted about three seconds, and she said, well, there was a time. And she, when she was a kid out at Burns Mill, my great aunt's farm, her aunt, she was riding a horse. Now, my great aunts because these were these lady farmers that you know, the other farmers, the guys took pity on, they gave them like a free, you know, cow or a free horse, but it always had some defect. So she was riding this um, horse that tended to stumble. Its name was Babe, and she came up in the old Pioneer Cemetery, and um there was this guy sitting there. She didn't know him, and this is, I remember the cemetery's on a rocky, shallow hillside. Nothing grows there. It's not like you know, someone would duck in and out of the trees. Uh, he, he was just there. She said he had old-time clothes. He had a long gray beard. And just then, of course, the horse stumbled. She looked down to attend to the horse. When she looked up again, he had vanished. Mm. So that was the first story I ever heard of a ghost. And it was from my mom, and it was from a graveyard. And I have to say, ever since, you know, I have heard a few more stories from cemeteries. And <laughs> um, it's just. You know, you've got to respect the living and the dead, and and when you don't, things happen. And, and in cemeteries, it's a real good setting for that karmic payback. I, my first book is Shaker Ghost Stories from the old Shaker Village here in Kentucky called Pleasant Hill. And one story was told to me by a man in his 60s, and he said when he was a kid, about 10 years old, they went to the old Shaker Cemetery. Now, this was after the Shakers were dead and gone, and it was sold out to tenant farmers, and none of the Shakers were there anymore. And in fact, the, the the graveyard had been abandoned for half a century, so when they wanted to go explore in there, they really had to work hard crawling through the thorny locusts and scrub cedar, and it really took them some time to get in there, and then they found most of the tombstones were just about a foot tall, because the right. Shakers were very humble people. They only had maybe a death date and not even a name on there. But they found a, 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 a bigger tombstone. is about a six-footer. It was one of the Pennebaker brothers. Who One of them became a doctor, and, and they were the later Shakers. So they kind of relaxed some of the rules, and they got to have a big old tombstone. He said, and the boys were looking at that. It was him and his twin brother, and he said another boy who often got into trouble. Mhm. Well, they were looking at it, but they couldn't read because, you know, the moss and lichen grows on the, on the um, you know, the, the limestone or the marble or whatever. So one of the boys figured out, he scooped up some of the dry dirt and used it as an abrasive to rub off some of the moss. And he, he was clearing it because they were, you know, they were just curious, you know, what's the name of the person and when did they live and die? But as he, mm-hmm. as he rubbed the dirt on it, he didn't know. He just, they all saw that he suddenly, that he, he just kind of accidentally tilted the tombstone a little bit and it socket. So that Uh-oh. was one of the twins, he stepped back, he wasn't sure what to do next, and then that third boy, he just walked right up, gave it a shove, and pushed it right over.
2: Oh, no. And That's that tombstone terrible.
3: landed with the thud and the weeds, and then the, well, the twins, they had ra- been raised better than that, to respect the living and the dead, so they got down there, and they tried to lift it back up, but, you know, six foot of marble could be 600 pounds, they couldn't lift it. The third boy joined them, all three boys, all six hands, they couldn't lift it, so this man, he hadn't been back to that cemetery for 30 years. He's in his 60s. He said they wandered over about 30 feet, found another tall tombstone. They were looking at it, and suddenly he felt a, a rush of cold air.
2: Mm-hmm. He
3: looked back to where they had just been, and the tombstone that was down in the weeds was now back upright.
2: No! Oh! <laughs> wow.
3: And he, said, and he said, quote, we got out of there a lot quicker than the way we got in.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> so... Love do you, it. Do you, I know you collect stories and so forth, but do you, do you do any investigating on your own?
3: Well, I mean, I guess the short answer is no. I mean, I I I really, I have a file folder two inches thick, not with stories, but just people's names and emails. I it just, I I'll never keep up. So you might say, yeah, do I take them on face value? Yeah, but if you said you went to XYZ High School, you know, why should I, you know, question you? I mean. You know, people, you look in their face, they say, this is what happened. You know, their spouses are 10 feet away and go, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's what's the motivation to, to, to lie? And I have to tell you, honestly, you really have to work hard to create a fiction story. It, it'll stick out like a sore thumb because when I collected the Shaker Ghost stories, I went and did some research, and um, part of it was looking at the journals, the guest journals where people wrote Oh, Martha and I had a great time, you know, dinner and blah, blah, blah. But some of these guest journals talked about encounters with spirits. And then I, I started reading one section about a severed head floating down the hallway. <laughs> and and it, was obvious, you know, it was obvious that the teenagers that stayed with that family just got a hold of the guest book and were having a little fun. So, <laughs> you, yeah, it's like what you are saying earlier, Ron, you have to have enough experience with true ghost stories to know how to create a good fiction ghost story. I mean, it really, when people are on their own imaginations, the stories are so fantastic and they have no grounding and, you know, you lose inherent logic. There's no connection to the person like you see in a true ghost story. Um, That's one of the first stories that I have in Eerie Encounters. My current book is from a lady who went with three other ladies from Louisville and stayed at a castle called Borthwick Castle. And flat out, you know, three, three of those ladies were non-believers. But you just go through step by step what happened in that castle. And she had the picture that I just posted on Facebook of this little girl ghost by the fireplace. You just can't make this stuff up. It's just they were flabbergasted each step of the way. It's not like they were looking for this stuff or they wanted it to happen. In fact, she was terrified uh, <laughs> because there was just incredibly... You know this pounding that shook the whole castle, and she smelled this smell that was just nauseous um, yeah. and forth oh, yeah, it's got a whole history but um I will say this: some people occasionally share a story with me, and usually they're younger people or younger adults, and it's obviously an urban legend because you know it's that you know hitchhiker that the guy picks up, it's, oh the red headed uh, hitchhiker. <laughs> yeah, it's the Cribadian Krib- in the well. It's I mean, you know, it's, if it happens in every county and every state, it's an urban legend. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You, right. know, you know, what's interesting, Thomas, though, but you, you, I know I've run across them, and, and I'm sure you have. That you've run across a story that's so unbelievable that it's got to be true. I mean, for instance, uh, we do uh, a thing called Dining with the Dead at the Windham Restaurant in Windham, New mm-hmm. Hampshire. And it's, it's a very haunted place. I've investigated for years and years and years. And one of the guys that worked there out of the blue called me up on the phone. And now he no longer worked there or anything, but he, he just called me up and he just wanted to share a stupid story with me, which is he was just working on the second floor vacuum. And he looked across the hall and there across the hall, he saw a little boy in knickers go running down the hallway and, the, the funny part about it is that he was in black and white, and it was only the bottom half of him. So anyway, <laughs> it's totally a cr- crazy story. But you know, in order to, to him to call me up to go through the effort to tell me that, and did, he didn't want anything out of it. You know, he didn't want his name mentioned, didn't want anything. And right. uh, you know, to me, that, that even though it sounds so crazy, yeah, I really believe it's credible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's
3: a good point and, and there's a couple of things I'd say in response to that, and i 'm glad you, you brought that up um, If you take a look at the Sasquatch stories, the Bigfoot, you will see that they're multi dimensional creatures, and um the what 's the very best kind of people to give testimony to these um, sasquatch stories well it 's hunters and farmers, so these are good old boys, they know exactly what the sounds of the woods are, they know what a bear looks like when it 's running and they you know they will tell you we heard something that we've never heard before and guess what you know they've lived there for seven generations so um right. you know uh right i mean what's the motivation to make make something up and embarrass yourself and uh, some of these stories come from people who actually would prefer you know not to have the story published cuz cuz they want to sell their house someday and and they just <laughs> don't want you know people to to like you know that to like reduce the the sellability of their house Um, But you know what? The problem is, in our society, we've made an assumption that material reality is paramount and spirit reality is iffy or suspect or kind of tenuous or maybe not believable. But most of the traditional societies and tribal uh, organizations and, and, you know, people on this planet, particularly, you know, the farther back you go, they had the opposite assumption on reality, that they believed that spirit reality was real and material reality was what we call maya you know, to use the Sanskrit word for illusion. So we're boxed in in the Western world because we've made an erroneous assumption about reality. So every time we see half of a kid running around from another <laughs> time period, or every time we see an orb going by, or um, we see, you know, somebody walking through a wall, we, we get, you know, like, you know, uh, Robbie the robot does not compute, does not compute. because <laughs> Why? Because we've made an erroneous assumption. So... Most people, rather than uh, correct their assumptions, they wall off reality. They put up a perceptual sense a belief system, and they go, "Look, that happened outside the boundary, outside my little wall, so it's not real." Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's not real. Well, this lady, this story's in my book. She had amazing UFO encounters. She is now in Alaska, but she was she grew up a uh, Mormon in Utah, and her and her brother watches this huge flying saucer, this UFO takes off from a field, and he goes running in the house, she runs in after him, he goes upstairs, she's sitting in front of the TV, which, by the way, is off, and she goes, you know, do you see it, do you see it, do you see it? Oh, my gosh, what was it? And he says, I didn't see anything, I'm watching TV. He <laughs> said, oh, really, with the TV off? So, I mean, it's just amazing, but this is the way we're acculturated and socialized in this society, and that's why I feel it's really important to tell my stories to children because... Not only do children already have experience with psychic reality, they believe these stories, and they want to be honored, just like folks that see ghost spirits and angels. They want to be honored, and they don't want to be told that they're liars or that it's their their imagination. I have incredible stories from children. I'm talking about invisible friends. I'm talking about children seeing angels, um, just chatting with dead people.
1: Children are very perceptive. But I, I know that wow. we're running, running short on time here, and then you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann Kerrigan and Ron Kolick. Our special guest is Thomas Fries. But uh, I know that we have one more question in the chat room that we want to sneak in. So, Ann, do you have that question?
2: Oh, okay. Uh, Stephen Scott wanted to know if there's one story you've collected over the years that just sends shivers up your spine.
3: Well, you know, use the framework of the children uh, to- segue into that and that is um, that's about children two ask- it's two minutes in the show <laughs> okay children ask me can ghosts harm you and I'll tell them honestly you know 95% of people are, are nice or neutral and maybe 5% of people you got to watch out for you don't get a personality makeover when you cross over so I do have some stories in my books that are that 5% of people that when they crossed over they're you know they're up to mischief and you'll have to watch out for them
2: mm-hmm Mm yeah wow well your books sound awesome and people can find them on amazon or they can find them
3: on amazon they could contact me they could google my name thomas freese um, and um, i'll be happy to hear from people if they want to share a story Uh, i've got events that i could uh, let them know about once again my my website doesn't have that posted and they can't buy stuff on my website, but if they look around a little bit um, and go on Facebook, they get on Facebook, Thomas Fries. I have a picture of a sacred geometry, uh, wood burned um, design piece for my profile picture right now, Thomas Fries on Facebook, I'll be happy to, to get to know new friends.
1: And that's awesome. Fries with an S, not a Z, so that's Thomas F-R-E-E-S-E, Thomas Fries.
2: Awesome. Well, yeah, nice. you, uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. It was fun.
1: You're very welcome, you guys.
3: Sorry you ran out of time.
1: Uh, well, It flew. You, you know, I don't know how you held up on at time, especially after being uh, ill recently. I mean, that's... Uh, that's amazing. I know my <laughs> voice is losing it right now. So,
3: <laughs>
1: so Thomas, I I thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles, Next Generation, with the Ann Carrigan and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet Peric's Ghost Channel on the iPod with uh, iTunes and your app uh, on TuneIn <laughs> and wherever else you listen to this silly thing. So, well, Thomas, thanks. thank you. Yeah. Go ahead, Ann. I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week.
1: Until then, good night and God bless.